This is from the Washington Post, their monkey cage section. Why resentful rural Americans vote Republican? Many of these voters think they're underrepresented, under-resourced, and overlooked. That's from this past week. This is a quote from Jake Tapper this, just this past week as well. I have to say I'm surprised that there hasn't been a national conversation about the damage done to kids because of these school closures and the virtual learning. There hasn't been a national conversation. And we vote Republican because we think we're under-resourced, overlooked, and underrepresented. None of these people have ever met any of us. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Our government, uh, where we live, meets once a year. Our town government meets once a year. Oh, if we have questions, we can certainly pop down to City Hall and meet with one of the two people who works there. Or, better yet, we could just belly up to them at the local restaurants where we see each other on a fairly regular basis. Or we could walk down to their house, knock on the door. Probably don't even need to do that. Uh, When the weather's nice, we see them on the hiking trails or walking the roads. When we have our snow plowed, it's because we all get together and Pay for the snowplow. When our water system needed an update, we sent they sent out an email. Yeah, we get email out here. And discussed what was going to be done and the upper pump house versus the lower pump house and that the well water is good. It's just that one of the engines isn't. The... Statement from the Washington Post, why resentful rural rural Americans vote Republican? Many of these voters think they're underrepresented, under-resourced, and overlooked. Well, no, you hate us. You hate our guts. That's not overlooking us. You hate us. You hate our values. You hate the way that we earn our livings. Under-resourced, I have never heard such a thing. I've never once heard a complaint about, gosh, I wish we had more federal monies, ever. Not once. The people I know in rural America would like to have our, we live in Idaho, would like to have our not really conservative, uh, perhaps, perhaps drunk driving Governor Brad Little dumped because he won't kick the feds out. 
this fascination that these people have with trying to understand us by talking to five or six of us is a form of ism that's never discussed. It's classism. It may or may not be racism, but it's absolutely classism. And this took two people to write. And then the Washington Post locked it behind a subscription window. Now, the reality is this. It's easy enough to explain why people vote Republican. All one needs to do is look at the city from what that, but from hence that float. The Washington Post headquarters are in Washington, D.C. We vote Republican because of what you are. And because of what your experiments are doing. You can't see it because you're unaffected by it, and it starts right there. The fact of the matter is, the people who write editorials like that are completely unaffected by the policies that editorials like that install. And we'll start that with one Jake Tapper, who says the most illuminating, offers the most illuminating 12 seconds on the state of journalism, if you want to call it that, that he and the Washington Post suffer from, or have, I should say, caused us to suffer from. We'll talk about Jake and some more on this article. Hey, if you if you are going to if you're going to pretend to have expertise on a class of people, <laughs> you should probably live around them. Because man, it's easy to drive by someone in a high-rise truck and say, "Oh, I get their story. Look at that redneck. Look at that buffoon. Look at that bitter clinger." Uh, yeah, actually, that's a retired surgeon, captain. No, that's I'm I'm talking about someone in our neighborhood. Drives a big high-rise pickup. He's a high, retired hand surgeon. You know, this is not the case. This is not the case with our folks at Soda Weight Loss, SodaWeightLoss.com. They're not people who've never had to lose weight or drop fat. They're not people who, oh, well, that's, that, that must be really tough for you to, <laughs> to have to worry about unwanted fat in your body. They're not drive-by, thank you, Rush, for the phrase. They're not drive-by practitioners of this stuff. It's affected them. Having family members end up with type 2 diabetes. I was talking to someone who helped put together this protocol at uh, Soda Weight Loss, sodaweightloss.com. And yeah, they saw the effects of this, that people can make themselves very, very sick uh, by dysregulated eating. And sometimes it adds up. It takes 10 or 20 years. Sometimes it can come rather quickly. But here's the fact of life. If you've carried around a bunch of unwanted fat on your body and you've put off losing it, and I get it, people can view it as a struggle. That's why Soda Weight Loss is so good. They do everything they can to minimize the struggle. That is by providing the convenience foods that are necessary for you to drop the weight, uh, kickstarting your body into fat-burning mode, providing you cooking classes. Because if you've carried around a whole bunch of unwanted fat on your body and you've put it off because of the pain of losing it, there will come a time where the pain of having it will exceed the pain of losing it. 
And in the case of soda weight loss, they do such a great job of minimizing the discomfort. You know, I went through a protocol like this. I've taken off 150 pounds and only at the end of it did I experience any hunger. And in my case, I was in the gym two to four hours a day. Most people aren't that nuts. There's this thing about, oh, well, it's worked fine this far. Okay, that's true when you jump off a building too. For the, like you jump off the, uh, the, the Empire State Building, the first 59 floors are kind of a gas. Then things get bad. I want you to get into the, the not bad portion of this before your body turns and before the extra fat does what it can do. So if you've not taken it off and you understand the health risks that are incumbent upon this, then get in touch with my friends at Soda Weight Loss at sodaweightloss.com, S-O-T-A weightloss.com. Not only are they healthcare practitioners, practitioners from way back, they're not drive-bys. <laughs> They've been through it. They know what it's like to drop 100 pounds. They know what it's like to, to get nervous entering into a program like this. Super easy. Just go to sodaweightloss.com, S-O-T-A weightloss.com. On this article from the Washington Post, why resentful rural Americans vote Republican, many of these voters think they're underrepresented, under-resourced, and overlooked. And then they have a sign um, in, their, um, in their report that says, God knows Trump won. Uh, I will tell you this, Donald Trump is president of North Idaho. That's a fact. Joe Biden is not president of this area. Joe Biden is despised. Now, I try everything I can to not despise Joe Biden because we're called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and that's a very difficult thing. And I have a hard, hard time loving Joe Biden. It's very difficult for me because of what he is being caused to do to this country. But here's the thing that the laptop class cannot get. You are uniquely unaffected by the policies you install. And this is why this, this division of having cities made up of the ultra-rich and the ultra-poor is utterly brilliant. The ultra-rich are almost completely unaffected by the policies they install. You can go to the mundane policies. For instance, the drive into Washington, D.C. can sometimes cost people $47.50 both ways. Not in gas, in tolls. that's $100 per day to drive to work. Who could afford that? The ultra-rich or government employees. And they just turn around and charge it to the taxpayer. Oh, I had to drive this morning, so I'll turn in my receipt. The taxpayer will pick that up. Who can't afford that? Construction workers can't afford that, so they pass that on to their customers. I'm sorry, I had to take the bridge today. There'll be a bridge fee. It's going to be 100 bucks. Who can't pass it on to their customers? You know who can't? Fast food employees. You know who can't? People starting out in their careers. Try that. Try driving to your job at the subway and saying, hey, boss, I had to drive in. It was $47.50. So? Can, can you pay me back? No. I'm not paying you back for getting to work. I can't. Should have taken the train. I had my kids. I got to pick my kids up. I'm sorry. So you can do that from the perspective of very small-like things, or I should say non-life-threatening things. That doesn't affect the writers of the Washington Post. We see this coming. Do you see the, 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 big, the big disconnect here is that the people at the Post think 
that were knuckle-dragging, dirt-licking bumpkins who don't understand that policy flows from the top, that we can't look at the patterns and say, you intend to charge us the same. You intend to toll our roads the same way. You intend to make it fiscally irresponsible for us to drive to buy groceries. You intend to make it fiscally difficult for us to drive out of the hills and go to the cities once in a while. You intend to follow the path of what they're doing in Oxford. Have you heard about this? They intend to stop their traffic jams there. You know what they're going to do? You know how they have parking zones in big cities? And you're supposed to have your car on the right side or the left side of the street or rather the odd or the even side of the street so the street cleaners can come through? Or there's hours in the day where only zone people who live there can park in the neighborhood? They intend to install in Oxford rules about when you can drive. So your car is going to have to have a sticker on it. You're going to be assigned a zone. On Monday, only zone one gets to drive. All the other zones, zones five through seven, don't get to drive. Or probably uh, two through seven don't get to drive. Do you think that we don't see this? And the people at the Washington Post do think we don't see this. They do think that we are isolated dirt eaters who aren't looking at that stuff from the cities that spreads, that we don't understand that you are building Maoist villages out of the cities, that we don't understand that you grab those cities psychologically, you bring young people in, you open the borders, that the people who pour across borders are there for federal services. They're not there. They're not there to contribute. They're desperate, desperate people. Oh, yeah, a lot of them will work. Don't get me wrong, but they won't pay taxes. A lot of them will work very, very hard, but a lot of them will not pay taxes. And they will instantly come in and start to take money out of the system. You think we don't see this? You think that we don't see what Seattle did to Washington, what Portland did to Oregon, what Austin hopes to do to Texas, what Boise is doing to Idaho. You don't think we see what Salt Lake City has done to Utah? You don't think that we understand that the shipment of people into that cities, the draw of people into that cities, the creation of adult toys in that city, like your stupid choo-choo trains, are about serving men and women children? We understand it completely. We are very, very aware of the cultural revolution you are driving with cities as the power bases and the Maoist villages. You think we don't see this, and maybe you don't see it because you are uniquely unaffected by the policies. People in the laptop class never had to care about the lockdowns. And this is coming from the Washington Post who says, we vote Republican because we say we, we feel under-resourced, under, um, underrepresented and overlooked. No, we feel hated. Time Magazine's famous article. I cannot believe that this isn't at the tip of the tongue of every conservative host. The secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. That's an admission. From people at the Washington Post saying, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely, we hid this stuff from the, we, we hid the Hunter Biden stuff. Oh, absolutely, we said that Trump was a Russian asset. Oh, we absolutely, we backed the changes to elections in the last second. See, the Post, you don't understand. We watched you change the rules. We said this is going to end up shifting the election. This is going to end up with a bunch of illegal votes. 
And they were illegal. I'm sorry, a vote without a signature is an illegal vote. A vote submitted after the polls close is an illegal vote. A vote where the signatures don't match is an illegal vote. Well, not in some cases. The states say they don't have to have signature matches. Right, that's illegal. It's a blatantly illegal law meant to encourage fraud, to enable it. And you brag about it. And you think that we don't see these things. You think that we don't see, like, let me just, this is another example of living in a rural area. Here's a very common question that you get in rural areas. Where do you go to church? You get it all the time. You meet someone at the gym. I know, I'm always in the gym. You're talking to someone in the gym. And the person will say, hey, by the way, where do you attend church? It's, 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 it's the replacement for, um, what zip code are you in? Oh, that's a question that people ask in the big cities. Hey, are you two and two? You two and two? What are you? You live uptown? Where do you work? What sector are you in? That's far different. You think that we don't see your animosity towards our faith? You, you probably do think we don't see it. You probably don't feel it. See, when you begin hiding stuff from us, Washington Post, you're hiding it from yourselves. It's just as much true that you didn't want to see the Hunter Biden stuff. It's just as much true that you didn't want to have to deal with it. You didn't want your friends to see it. You didn't want to be seen handling it because you didn't want to have to deal with the cognitive dissonance of, my gosh, this kid is almost certainly a national security nightmare kid. He's a grown man is a national security nightmare. See, we watch that. Now, is that the reason we vote Republican? No. The reason we vote Republican is because it's the closest thing to small governance that exists in America. It's the closest thing to the, to the vision of our founders, which was a limited government, limited in what it could do to you by virtue of limiting what it could, quote, do for you. Those things go together. A government strong enough to give you everything you need is a government strong enough to take everything you have to paraphrase a great American. You think that these quotes don't roll off of our tongue. You don't think that this informs our voting choice. You think that we don't understand a principle behind our vote? The principle is a government that fears its people is a healthy democracy. A people that fears its government is living in tyranny. You think that we don't understand these things and they don't roll around in our minds? And that this isn't one of the reasons that we're concerned about our country. And here's the other thing that you deeply don't understand. We all have already won. You truly don't understand that we, we know that this is our turn, our generation's turn, our country's turn to go through that which you welcome. You welcome tyranny. You welcome disinformation. You are on a side that stands against freedom of speech and that never makes you the good guy. You're on the side that stood for abusing science to such a degree that science is now disrespected, not listened to, doctors are not trusted. You stood by as that happened. You promoted it. We watched you do it. And you don't understand that our faith in God reminds us that we're not even, we're not even from here. You know, you like to defend illegal immigrants? Well, we're, we're, not, even, we're not even really citizens of your world. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And we want very much to make this world better while we're here. And that includes voting. 
You guys are part of a world that finds virtue in lies of omission and commission. NPR, this is, this is a brilliant post by Stephen Miller on Twitter. Remember when NPR tweeted this? Why haven't you heard any stories from NPR about the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop story? Read more in this week's newsletter. We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. We don't want to waste the listeners and readers' time on stories that are just pure distractions. Meanwhile, here's what the uh, here's what NPR published October 21st of this year. Larry the Cat, a 15-year-old tabby who serves as chief mouser at the residence of Britain's prime minister, has outsized David outlasted David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, and now Liz Tuss. But they don't want to waste our time. This came from the pages of the Washington Post, but it speaks for an entire profession who will never take the time to come to a place like Idaho and spend the year. Jake Tapper, you would have your life changed if you ever took me up on my offer to come and spend six months in North Idaho. Not as Jake Tapper, by the way. Let's have you grow your beard out, change your hair. Let me introduce you as a friend from back east. Put some different glasses on you and just, just you will marvel at how you're treated. You'll marvel as you go to a gun range and you're talking to someone about the weapon they're using. And in your mind, you're going to be formulating something about them. And then you're going to ask them eventually, so what do you do for a living? And you're going to hear someone say, oh, I own the largest engineering company in the world. When it comes to big equipment for mines, I own the largest engineering company in the world. We make the biggest equipment in the world for mines. I'm a billionaire. I'm standing next to you shooting here. I could buy CNN for half of my net worth. And I'm standing here next to you. And you just calculated in your mind that I'm some sort of toothless, dirt-licking dumbtard. That's truly, that's truly the divide. And we'll hear from Jake Tapper here in a second. Like I say, if you're going to represent that you know a class of people and you aren't willing to go spend time with that class of people, well, then you're a liar. And you say terrible, stupid things like dumb tard. Oh, where'd I get that? <laughs> Blue checks, Twitter. This is what they call rural Americans so often. You know, my friend Zach Abraham from Bulwark Capital Management suffers from no such thing. <laughs> the thing I love about Zach is if you didn't know what he did for a living, you wouldn't know what he did for a living. Uh, I, I can't think of another guy so successful in the world of finance um, who is so completely accessible <laughs> and it hasn't rubbed off on him. It, it, I should say this. He hasn't gotten any on him. This is one of the jokes we used to make about having to go into D.C. and go to those uh, events where there's you know, lobbyists and such. They don't, don't get any on you. Well, that hasn't happened to Zach. He is still just the same guy he's always been. Part of that goes to his grandpappy and his dad. Taught him the value of real work, shoulder, like shoulder-breaking work. That's a reality for Zach Abraham. And I think it really comes down to the fact that he's a man of faith. And so he understands that none of us are great. None of us are even good, right? Only through the grace of God do we have what we have, that we're, we're given as an opportunity to steward. So like I say, if you didn't know what Zach did for a living, you'd never know what he did for a living. I want you to check him out in this free live webinar. 
You've heard me talk to him once a week now for almost a year. Our year anniversary is coming up in November. I think it's on the 21st. Our one-year anniversary as a podcast. That will come shortly after we launch the national radio show. That's pretty amazing. So Zach is doing this free live webinar. This is a chance for you to see him face-to-face. This is a chance for you to hear him answer questions. This is a chance for you to see him describe in a very in-depth and transparent way the Bulwark Capital Management Strategy for Risk Management. This is an opportunity, most importantly, for you to figure this out. Is your portfolio ready for the chaos economy? That's what he's going to be discussing. Your personal wealth or the money that you're saving, is it set up to survive the chaos economy? Well, if it's not set up for risk management, I would say not. This is a free event. It is Thursday, October 27th at 3 p.m. That's this week, 3 p.m. Pacific time. But you have to register to be able to attend. That's an easy process. Just go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's K-N-O-W, knowyourriskradio.com, and register for the free live webinar. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. So Jake Tapper uh, takes up where we left off with the Washington Post. This is the most fascinating about 12 seconds of audio because it encapsulates the entire world of journalism in 2022. I have to say I'm surprised that there hasn't been a national conversation about the damage done to kids because of these school closures and the virtual learning and everything because I mean, I'm not saying there should be a national do-over, but we can't just pretend that fifth graders who are now seventh graders, that that didn't happen, you know? Like, I feel like there should be, and not not with a blame game. Look, it happened. People did it. It was criticized, the school closures, the virtual learning, et cetera. But here we are. Um, There needs to be like like a bipartisan movement, you know? Incidentally, want to know who he's talking to there? Jeb Bush. Did, did, did anyone hear Jeb Bush speak out against the lockdowns or the woke masks or the forced injections? Nope. Jake Tapper tweeted on July 11th, 2020. He tweeted this, as Trump demanded schools reopen, his experts warned of highest risk. And he's quoting here the New York Times. That was, that was Jake Tapper's opinion back then. A national conversation, Jake. Jake, the national conversation began prior to the lockdowns. The national conversation about children's mental health began prior to the lockdowns. It began on programs like mine. When we were doing the radio show in Seattle on what this would do to children. We began talking about the trade-offs at that point because we, at that point, understood that kids were not at risk for the COVID flu. We understood at that point that most people had the ability to develop immunity or already had it in the form of crossover immunity. How could we know that, Jake? Because of the Princess Cruise. Do you remember the Princess Cruise, Jake? When the, when the technocrats decided to turn the corner and to flip on the PSYOP switch, 
and they started to shut down cruise lines. There was a cruise line, a cruise ship that got, that got quarantined off the coast in California. Most of the people came off that ship fine, and it was mostly older people. Most people lived through that. If not everybody, Jake. And that was the key moment for a lot of us going, oh, okay, so we do have immunity. That was a big lie. There is immunity to this. Jake, a national conversation happened in these here parts that you guys deride. Jake, in this part of the country, the lockdown lasted for about two weeks. I'm not kidding. For about two weeks. The masks lasted for about two weeks. Until people, us bumpkins, us dirt eaters, or what, uh, what the, uh, the, the, the blue checks are calling dumb tards, what we saw was our own eyes. The Washington Post, we vote Republican. Want to know why? Because it's the only party that has any semblance of respect for individual intelligence, for individual freedoms, and those things go together. We were able to gauge the risk here, not only because we are different people, but because we live in a different area. There is no reason on earth for us to be sporting woke masks as we walk through a neighborhood where we might see someone every 40 minutes or so. And Manhattan's a very, very different place, which is where you do your show from, Jake. In North Idaho, when people got tired of doing the lockdowns, they stopped. And they said, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. Sure, there were the Kootenai County Health ads that were all over the radio, blasting all over the radio. There were health inspectors that would show up at restaurants, like some of our favorite restaurants, and our owners would say, oh, well, we understand that this is a suggestion, not an order from the governor, so we're not doing it. No, we're not doing it. And look, we're fine. So it's not that we vote Republican because we think we're under-resourced. Where does that even come from? What resources do we want from you? To be honest with you, what we'd like very much is for the federal government to keep hands off because your resources always come with hooks. Always. This is one of the hooks it comes with. People saying things like this about crime. This, This is a conversation on MSNBC. And this guy is doing a podcast where he he calls himself a persuader. His podcast is The Persuaders. So he's out persuading people about things like this. It is a dead heat between democracy and fascism. And so I set out in The Persuaders to ask why. That's, that's, that's his pursuit. Why is it a dead heat between fascism and democracy? Well, number one, what does that mean? To him, it means things he doesn't like. The dead heat between fascism and democracy, go back to the Washington Post. God knows Trump won is the sign they chose for this article, and that's probably at a church somewhere. Well, if Trump won, God knows it. And if you guys stole the election, God knows that. And when you take a statement like that from MSNBC that it's this dead heat between democracy and fascism, you could watch the entire piece. I did. I watched the entire. In fact, I have the full, I have a fuller statement from this guy here. And I watched almost the entire piece. 
No, I did. I watched. It's six minutes long. I watched this whole statement. Do you know what's not in there? Not a single policy that ties back to fascism. Uh, there is right now an anti-democracy side and a pro-democracy side in American life. It's very simple. It's not about party ID at this point. It is about whether you are for continued and expanded liberal democracy or not. And the, mm-hmm. the pro-democracy side is hamstrung by a belief that simply doing the right thing and standing for the right thing in its imagination is self-explanatory. That people will gravitate to you if you're doing the right thing on Ukraine or doing the right thing for inflation or doing the right thing in policy as you see it. And the argument of the persuaders is that in fact the pro-democracy side right now is not winning. And it's not just not winning because of rigging and big lies, as Jonathan has covered, and, and, and voter suppression and, you know, state election officials who, who toy with things. Although that is very real and very dangerous and serious. Yes. I don't think it's, if you look at these polls, you're just asking people on the street. It is a dead heat between God. democracy and fascism. And so I set out in the persuaders to ask, why? I got tired of despairing watching this show and all the excellent coverage of this descent towards fascism and authoritarianism. And, and, and why is this happening? And why are we relegated to despairing about it? Voter suppression is not a policy. It's a word you use. It's a, it's a multisyllabic phrase you throw around. The vote in Georgia, the, out, <laughs> the turnout in Georgia is breaking records every week. That's the state that they're saying is voter suppressed. They're having record turnout of black voters every day. We'll hear some more of this in just a second. So, hey, have you taken me up on the challenge yet? I did have a friend of mine uh, send me a note, been with us on the show for a long, long time, uh, Larry Motrin note, saying, hey, okay, you ground me down. I'm trying bone frog coffee. I get it. I get it. I'm going to try it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do if you're on the fence with this stuff is go to bonefrog.us. Just do that. I went there just now. Bonefrog Coffee Company, veteran-owned and operated, we honor the fallen. And this is true, they do. Right there, as I page down on the right, there's a video, a conversation between myself and Tim Cruikshank. This, that thing, that we took that video almost a year ago. I challenge you to watch that and find anything that's changed with their brand. God Country Team, it's right on top of the video. They're not hiding anything. You go here, this right down below, God Country Team, right after the the founding video, which is an enormously cool video to watch. It's this Tim and the guys jumping out of airplanes and doing things SEALs do that other people don't do. Then you get to God Country and Team, the power of giving. Bonefrog Coffee Company was created as a tribute to the brotherhood of U.S. Navy SEALs, the Navy's special warfare community, and to all Americans who bravely served or are currently serving in our United States Armed Forces. We're making a humble and heartfelt commitment to give a portion of all of our proceeds to benefit many of the U.S. Navy SEAL foundations annually. True story. They also raise awareness about what SEALs are, who they are. It's through their merchandise. You'll see that at bonefrog.us. You can start a conversation with people. In fact, I had a great conversation because I was wearing one of the hats that Tim Kirkshank sells. And in this case, it's just a picture of the bone frog. That's it. This doesn't, on the back, it says bone frog coffee, but at the front, it doesn't say anything. It's just a picture of the bone frog itself. And someone asked me about the hat. I said, okay, well, this is a, it's a slightly modified version of the bone frog that, that honors fallen Navy SEALs. And my friend said, oh, oh, wow. Oh, of course, a bone frog, a a dead frog. That's one way to look at it. 
Another way to look at it is bones, bones are the tough part of us, p- toughest part. As you page down a little bit, you're going to get to the coffee. You'll see that there's bone frog medium roast, frog, frogman dark roast, sons of valor medium roast. That's the one with the Navy seal on the front of it. And then the Zen frog. You'll see all of the delivery methods, K cup. You'll see it in, 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 uh, in, in, uh, in French press. You'll see it in drip. You'll see it in the whole bean. And now here's my challenge. You've seen the website. Now simply try the favorites roast that you think you're going to like. Now, my opinion when you hear light roast with 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 bone frog, remember these are Navy SEALs. This this ain't no light coffee. In fact, Zen Frog is is sneaking up in me to be my favorite of the bone frog blends. But do make sure it's bonefrog.us where you go. Bonefrog.us. So this guy doing the MSNBC thing saying it's a dead heat between uh, people who want democracy and people who want fascism. His name is Anand uh, Giridharis. And he's got himself some pretty whack hair. And I don't do body shaming. I'm just saying that this guy is about as hipster as hipster can be. In fact, uh, I don't want to... I say, I'm not trying to belittle. I'm just trying to describe. Remember Mr. Friesmeister? I'm Mr. Friesmeister. I'm Mr. Cold. Remember that from that, that cartoon? He's got Friesmeister hair. And pretty sharp suit, I'd say. He just he just right there made the case that it's this dead heat between fascism and democracy. By fascism, he means the following. Governors who want the signatures of voters to match their votes. Fascism. Voters who want voter ID. Fascism. I mean, pardon me. Governors who are going to enforce voter ID. Fascism. People who want to see laws against drug dealing enforced, fascism. That's what he means. And you go back to this thesis from the Washington Post. Why resentful and rural Americans vote Republican. Resentful. Do you walk around in a state of resentment? Do you, do you, do you spend a lot of time in resentment? I, I, I simply don't. Now, part of this is my faith. What would I resent? I've been adopted. I've been adopted into the family of the King Most High. I've been adopted into God's family. I have been promised, and will and will have delivered everlasting life with the King, with the Lord Jesus. Why would I resent? I spend a lot of my time trying to share the joy in this. Resentful. You are talking Washington Post from the perspective of a paper that sponsors. Taking money from people who never held slaves and whose families never held slaves, taking that money and giving it to people who never were slaves and whose descendants were never slaves. And you are saying that we are the resentful ones. You're coming from a perspective that backs the figurehead, taking money from people who never went to college to give to people who may or may not have gone to college. The idea is they're supposed to have taken out college loans that they voluntarily took out. And that's based upon resentment. And we're the resentful ones. 
So in this guy's just absolutely faked up poll that he has concluded means that we are tied between democracy, as he as he describes it, and fascism, as he makes it up to be, he's on a network where a woman says this. They're talking about Democrats losing ground in the elections because of crime in the cities. And Joe Bar- Scarborough's having his pretend scholarly debate about this, about is it right that the Democrats are, are panicked about this? And other MSNBC hosts, MSNBC hosts are saying Democrat consultants are panicked. Crime in the cities has pushed this resentful Republican base to vote even more Republican. Republican me harder, daddy. And it, it lends with a woman, and I know this is very shocking, going to talk about the discussion of crime is racism. Blake Hounshell, the editor of On Politics, the newsletter for the New York Times, has new analysis for the paper this morning about the midterm elections that, quote, the Democrats fear Red October has arrived. Blake writes in part this, quote, here's the thing about elections. When they break, they usually break in one direction. And right now, all the indicators on my political dashboard are blinking red, as in toward Republicans. Um, Joe, we're going to get Elise's uh, focus groups out of Pennsylvania that illustrate this point as well, that perhaps Perhaps abortion, while red hot over the summer and still important to some voters, may not be as persuasive a voting issue as Democrats had hoped it might be. Yeah, and you're, you're hearing it everywhere. It, it actually is fascinating the last couple of days in particular. Democratic consultants uh, from Oregon to New York State uh, in the near uh, near state of panic. Uh, yesterday in New York State, uh, we, we, we heard about a new poll showing uh, that the governor, Kathy Hochul, actually in trouble and, and congressional candidates concerned in close races across New York, that that's actually dragging them down. We've heard it in, in Wisconsin. Things are going Ron Johnson's way and uh, dramatically right now, according again to consultants. Pennsylvania has gotten really tight. Uh, the, the, the Republicans feel good about Georgia, feel good about Ohio, feel good about a lot of a lot of races there. And Democrats need to make sure that they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh-huh. They have to, you know, we know that the fears of crime are just kind of latent subtext that have a, a racialized history in this country. Um, and so walking voters through the perception of crime and where there actually is crime. You no, know, Elise, after. Did you get that part? Talking about crime, crime has a latent racial subtext. Talking about crime. You want to know who's victimized by black people committing crimes? Because that's what she means. Because guess what? A lot of black people commit a lot of crimes. Sorry. Oh, that's an indictment of black people? No, it's not. Because there's nothing about being black that makes you a criminal. And there's nothing, there's no such thing as being black. Such an invented, ridiculous, stupid phenomena. We are created by one God. He happens to like the the shades of color in our skin. A person is not a black person. A person has darker skin than another. It doesn't make you a black person any more than it makes me a white person. I don't even know that we do that with dogs. What kind of dog do you have, white? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's all privileged. Yeah, it's all over the couch. I want to get a black dog because they're virtuous. It is a commentary on the Washington Post, on their thesis. It is. We have seen what your policies have done to our brothers and sisters who happen to have darker skin. We've seen what government dependence has done 
to our brothers and sisters who happen to have darker skin. We've seen what true propaganda, what true resentment pimping has done to many generations of our brothers and sisters who happen to be black. Why resentful, uh, why resentful rural Americans vote Republican? Because we don't want our kids addicted to government. Because we don't want them victimized by being addicted, uh, being, being addicted to government. Because we don't want them being taught that the only reason they don't have is because someone else achieved. Because we don't want them to live in a world where they are told your only hope in the world, your only hope to ever reach parity with anybody is if a, if a crinkly rich old white woman like, like Lizzie Warren gets a bill passed. The only hope you have in the world is of a bill getting through Washington, D.C., and at that point, you'll have hope. The only way you'll ever reach parity is if someone steals something from someone who took nothing from you. The only way you'll ever have happiness is to adopt a position that stands adverse to the Ten Commandments in every possible capacity, including hating your neighbor and yourself and hating the shade of skin that the Lord gave you because you believe it is tied to oppression. Yes, yes, we're the resentful ones. We watch the cities. Those of us who have lived in the cities have watched the cities degrade. Those of us who've lived in the cities and have been, in fact, in fact, have been lectured by black people, like I was lectured by a black person when I lived in Washington, D.C., and people know this story. When I went jogging one morning, I decided to go in a reverse direction. I ran, I, I ran um, downtown and, and across one of the bridges into Maryland and, and ran back through a less populated area of Maryland, across the bridge into D.C., into a neighborhood. What would that be? Uh, north, uh, no, that would be southeast. And I went jogging through this neighborhood, headed back to the RNC, had my music playing. It's, it was like a, probably a seven-mile run. And I, as I ran, I heard someone yelling my name. And I thought, well, how, who would be yelling my name? I took my headphones off. I looked up at a house, and there was Dwayne, the security guard who worked at the, uh, at the Republican National Committee. He's going, what are you doing? I, I said, oh, Dwayne, I'm just jogging to work. Wait, you, you're jogging through this neighborhood? Yeah, I, I jog here through sometimes. Get, 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 get up here. Get up here. Get up here. I went, okay, what are you, you? You're crazy. You're a crazy man. Dwayne, I'm just, I'm just jogging. You're going to get killed. You're going to get murdered in this neighborhood. What? You're crazy. And his wife says, hey, who's out there? He goes, it's Todd from the, from the RNC. What is he doing here? And she goes, what are you doing here? So I'm just jogging. I'm just, you're going to get killed. Come in the house. And she was cooking breakfast and, and sit and have breakfast with us. Oh, no, I mean, I couldn't do that, man. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I'm sweaty. I'm stinky. He goes, you're running. I go, he goes, okay, you're going to let me give you a ride to work. I go, no, Dwayne, no, 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 no. I got to get in there and you are with your family. You stay with your family. He goes, okay, then you promise me. You promise me. You go back out to Constitution. Don't you run through this neighborhood. Don't you run under that bridge. Don't you run by that school. Don't you run by that park. But Dwayne, that's where your kids go. I know it, but you don't have to. That man loved that committee. There was a time before Michael Steele lost his mind 
And I'm very sad for that. Michael Steele was very kind to me. Before Michael Steele lost his mind, Michael Steele decided to do a, a, um, uh, uh, a presentation for a young man that I found, or my team found. He had a site called 10,000 Pennies. He did a brilliant job of representative socialism and economic policy. We flew him to Washington, D.C. We gave him a social media outreach award, and some people came to protest it. And they were calling it racism. And Michael Steele was laughing. He was very good that way. He loved those confrontations. He was laughing. Some of us were, you know, calculating, are we going to kick these guys out of here? And you know what happened? Dwayne, the black security guard. You know what he did? I couldn't believe this. He said, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman. And, and, and Michael Steele was shocked. He goes, Dwayne, he goes, no, Mr. Chairman, I'm sorry. May I say something, please? <laughs> Michael laughed. He goes, yeah. come on up, Dwayne. He goes, no, no, no. I'm not getting up there. That's where you That's where you stand. That's where you stand, Mr. Chairman. That's where you stand, Mr. Chairman. No, I'm going to say something to these college kids. What do you know? He's looking at him. What do you know? What do you know? You come in here calling that man a racist and these people racists? I've worked here for 25 years. They put three of my kids in college. What are you talking about racism? What do you know? And I was standing there, and Dwayne really embarrassed me. He goes, this man, this man loaned me $1,000 about a month ago. Never asked when to get it back. He just knew he would. Racism? What are you talking? What do you know? They knew nothing. Like the Washington Post knows nothing about us and all of our resentments. It's a phenomenal piece. Phenomenal headline. Phenomenal statement by Jake Tapper. Phenomenal that discussing crime is racism in and of itself. Why do we vote Republican? Because we don't want people like Dwayne's kids to die anymore. Because we don't like seeing what you've done to the cities. We may not live there. But God shows us what's going on there. Those are God's kids, a lot of them. They're all God's creations. Why do we vote Republican? Because out of the two evil human creations of Democrat Republican Party, there's one party that at least makes sounds about teaching people to be self-sufficient and that God provides. And that God is a God that provides holy and sufficiently for us if we will just have the grace, accept the grace and just have the faith. Because it sickens us to see what your policies have done and your laptop class doesn't notice. That's the divide between the ultra-rich and the ultra-poor. Because the ultra-rich can take their Ubers straight into work, right up to the 60th floor, where they all have to wear badges to get inside. And yes, their security guards are armed. Not the ones you see, but the ones you don't see. We have to check ID to get into the buildings. They never have to live in the results of the policies like you at the Washington Post never had to live through the lockdowns. Well, you did, but you didn't lose any pay. You never lost a day, a dime of of work pay. Some of you made more money. In fact, most of you made more money. Because people were finally reading the garbage that you write. Why do we vote Republican? Is it because we're resentful? No, it's not. It's not resentment. It's desperation. It's desperation. Because in this temporal world, there are two choices. One slightly less evil than the others. That's why. 
And we vote with the full knowledge, a lot of us, that we're only visitors here. This is not our home. (laughs) We started with Jake Tapper. I want to remind Jake about something, and it is a colleague of his, Bill Maher. Bill Maher, I'm not going to join the Bill Maher cult. Bill Maher is a very smart manipulator, very smart. He knows what he's doing by taking this turn about the COVID stuff. Now, to his defense, the moment the lockdowns happened, and I cannot find this video, maybe someone can find it for me. Bill Maher did a video outside of his home on his driveway. I know that because he said, I'm standing outside my house right now filming this because I'm not supposed to go into the studio. His dog was with him. He did an utterly brilliant takedown of the lockdowns as they were beginning. He knew, he understood what COVID was. It was brilliant. In fact, he said at some time, you know, these same people who want me to wear these idiotic masks will come by and let my dog, here's my dog, lick them. That dog licks his, his, his nether regions all day long, and they'll, they'll think it's cute when that dog licks him, but they want me wearing a mask. I mean, it's Bill Maher, so he's going to be gross. He's got to be. That's what Bill Maher does. Bill Maher is still on the beat that Jake Tapper's just now joining. But yes, it's us bitter, clinging, resentful Republicans. This is Bill Maher talking about new information to him and to them about the lockdowns. We've known this all along. Now we're getting some information after a while. We have time to find out just how bad the collateral damage has been. Uh, Here's just a few cases. The pandemic erased two decades of progress in math and reading. See, right away, I got to say. This pisses me off. I see these headlines all the time. The pandemic didn't do that. The way we handled the pandemic did that. The pandemic (laughs) certainly was a thing. But let's not just say the pandemic, because it was not written in stone that we had to handle it the way we did. Uh, Act scores are the lowest in 30 years. Um, Anxiety and depression way up. The body mass index uh, increase doubled for kids 2 to 19. Drug overdose, overdose deaths. Murders way up. Inflation at a 40-year high. Domestic violence increased. Um, oh, and my favorite, car crashes. They couldn't figure this out. They're like, way, way, way up. And finally, the ex- I love this. This is the, the expert said. You know what it is? People just went f***ing mental. We did. A lot of people did. So to answer the Washington Post, I don't spend any time in resentment. I, I don't know resentful people here. I know worried people. And I know people who vote Republican out of desperation with full knowledge that it's a slightly less evil organization than the DNC. But we have two choices. Under-resourced, we don't watch your resources because they come with ties, like, uh, like allowing crime and open borders. And teaching our kids that, that they should have sex as often as possible with as many people as they like. And if they're adults, cool. That's another thing. That, oh, is that resentful? No. Is it fearful? Yeah, we don't want you doing that to our kids. Well, but we don't want you doing it to anyone's kids. And here's the biggest difference. The votes that Democrats make about rural areas are about taking from us. Our land, our property rights, our ability to drive around our land, our ability to teach our kids as we see fit. Our votes, inspired by what we see in the city, are about Stopping you from doing things to people. Black on black crime. The sexualization of children. Or the pretense that this goof 
Uh, I have to watch my mouth. That was biblically really bad. (sighs) The pretense that this figurehead is running anything. Joe Biden was asked why politicians don't want him coming by, like Tim Ryan, etc. Hey, are you going to go campaign for Tim Ryan? He says he doesn't want you there. Tim Ryan in Ohio said he doesn't want you there. Warnock said wouldn't say. Do you think they're making a mistake? No, they're about 16 there. I've already gone in for you, and a lot more last another 20 or so. Let me, let me just play that again just and see if you can make sense of what Joe Biden says. Tim Ryan in Ohio said he doesn't want you there. Warnock said wouldn't say. Do you think they're making a mistake? No, they're about 16 there. I've already gone in for you and a lot more last. Another 20 or so. so I'm going to be going in. <laughs> that is a random word generator. Why are we voting Republican? Out of desperation. And because you guys are pretending that a man who has a brain like a random word generator is running anything. Come on out. There's this thing in fiction writing. Write what you know. There's this thing in journalism. Write what you think you know. You don't know us. You hate us, but you've never met us. And here's a true fact. It's really hate, it's really easy to say, I hate them. I hate people in rural communities. You know what's really hard to do? Come and spend six months with us and then say, I hate Tracy and Doug and I hate Duke and I hate Melanie and I hate... Try that. It's a lot harder. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and please never let my podcast... Let me just say this very sincerely. If, if my podcast is a source of anger for you, just, just please don't listen. If there's anything we do that shares the word of God or just reminds you that, that we're not the first to go through this and that we stand in position of victory and that the, one of the greatest tricks the devil wants is for us to hate the people we talk about, if it reminds you of that and God is able to work through me as, as hard as I make it, as much as I screw this up, Keep listening, but man, if we're a source of anger for you, if we're causing you to hate anybody, just please find something else. I just, I just, probably stupid thing to say, but God calls us to love.